Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Godsplaining. My name is Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, and I am joined today by the great Dominican scholastic and thinker, Father Gregory Maria Pine. I don't know why I use the word scholastic then. That could make <laughs> people think that maybe you're a Jesuit in formation or something. Mm. It was feeling yeah. sort of scholarly. We're going to talk about some scholastic things today, scholastic, scholasticism. Yes, those are all true things. When I hear scholasticism, I think of like time periods. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I should have waited for the for the direct question so that way I could have responded to it like a normal human being. Instead, I'll just run <laughs> roughshod. <laughs> As is so my tell moment. us what you think about scholasticism. What do you think <laughs> of? Do you think of school school book fairs? Scholastic. Oh, school that's a great point. Fair, yeah. Right? You know, the elementary book school fair. book fairs. Yeah. And also, I associate in some way with those um those little like certificates that you would get at school, and then if you read X number of books, they'd like put a little stamp on it, and then you could take it to Pizza Hut and get a free personal pan pizza. I think that was also associated with the Scholastic Book Fair, um, all of which is good news because oh, reading nice. should taste like 800 calories per slice. Um, yeah. No, I think about time periods, uh, specifically like 12th and 13th century uh, and then 16th century, and so when I hear the word attributed to me, I think of myself as like wearing a funny hat um, and speaking Latin conversationally, neither of which are true, um, although I could invest in funny hats. But yeah, those are my associations, all of which are happy, all of which are good. But yeah, there you go. Well, we really ought to give you the proper scholastic haircut. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you wear, you wear your hair, you know, pretty short and I, you know, uh-huh. I don't mean to mock this with my... Unlocks here, but you know we could you could go the full Thomas Aquinas, you know, and get the get the get the traditional uh, Corona. I could, um, I could do, do that by by way of choice, or I could just do it by way of patience, because I think um, as is the case with with many men, it comes for us all. It's just a matter of time. So I'm starting to thin, uh, and once it goes, I won't have to do much in the way of maintenance. So I think I'll just bide my time, and then I'll have that catch me in a couple of years. Okay, well, stay tuned for uh, the announcement of the Patreon fundraiser to see how much how much money we need to raise to get Father Gregory to shave his head down to you know, St. Thomas Aquinas's Corona. That that'll be exciting. But uh, let's let's jump in here to the meat of the episode. Um, you know, we boldly titled this episode "Proving the Existence of God," which is to say that everyone in the world who does not believe in God will be able to listen to this episode, and by the time they're done with it. They will believe in God after. That's it. Right? So uh, That's yep, the project. Yep. The demonstrations that we are going to put forward will leave no one in doubt as to the existence of God. And um, after having been utterly convinced by the, by the conclusion of the episode, they will then present themselves for RCIA. So any pastors listening or parochial vicars, uh, be prepared because um, the, uh, the people will start coming. They'll start knocking at your door in short order. Father Gregory, let's start off with kind of a basic question here. Why do you think that the existence of God is not self-evident? <laughs> if well, this is the kind of thing that we can demonstrate. You know, like, why does why does God even make us bother with the demonstration? Why isn't it just apparent always and everywhere? If our God was a God of love, 
uh, why wouldn't it just be clear that he loved us and it'd be easy, easy enough for us to ascend to his love and to know him. Yeah. Wow. I have many thoughts. Um, when you said our God is a God of love, I was like, our God is also an awesome God who rolls up his sleeves and is not just putting on the Ritz, but that's besides the point. He reigns um, from heaven above. <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we joked a little bit about this being a knockdown drag out. Is that the words that I'm looking for? Airtight, um, watertight, what, never mind. Uh, that this being uh, an episode about proving the existence of God, that it'll leave no one in doubt as to God's existence. And people recognize that as a joke, although they recognize it in a kind of sobering way. It's like, oh, you know, it's like it's sad that one would joke about such a thing because would that it were more uh, evident or were that it would were that more people would track with the with the argumentation and assent to God's existence. And uh, one of our classmates, Father Raymond Snyder, when describing the these you know proofs of the existence of God, he uses a helpful analogy drawn from Monty Python, that that source of great wisdom. And um, there's a sketch, uh, there's a sketch about like the funniest joke in the world, where a guy is writing jokes at his desk, and he he ends up writing the funniest joke in the world, and he's so consumed with laughter that he actually dies. And then you know you see subsequent evolutions where his wife comes in, she sees his dead body like mourns his loss and then picks up the joke. She reads it, she dies. And then you have like the police inspectors and eventually it's translated into German and used in the uh, trenches during World War One. But no one person can read the joke because it would kill him too. And, you know, it's like this very hilarious and involved thing. Um, but I think a lot of people think about, you know, a proof as obtaining in a similar way. It should be like, you know, you hear the proof and then you assent and then you go about your business. Um, but it's just not that way. And I think it's, you know, as your, as your question suggests, God's, God's existence isn't self-evident or it's not uh, immediately demonstrable in the way that one might, uh, might think or associate with like mathematics, right? So God is, God's existence is self-evident, but it's self-evident to himself. So God is most knowable, but we aren't necessarily capable of knowing what is most knowable. We're capable of, of knowing God to a certain extent, um, but we're like bats, before the radiance of his intelligibility, right? So we have like these very limited uh, abilities to take in what is true. And, and sometimes it just overawes us or it overpowers us. And so we're not able to, to know God as God knows himself. We're not, into, not able to take in God in one glance as he is able to take himself in, as it were. And so for that reason, we have to proceed by more so humble steps. I love it. Yep. So Aquinas, you know, Aquinas for his part, right? He just uses the language that we're, in this side of heaven, we're wayfarers. We talk about this constantly on the show, um, on the podcast, and we're wayfarers. And it's just not possible for us to perceive the essence of God directly. And there's a huge theme and a, and a point of uh, frequent discussion in uh, the works of Thomas Aquinas. And so, so here at the very beginning, by the way, for our listeners, we're talking about questions that are at the very beginning of Aquinas's Summa Theologiae, um, Aquinas says, uh, you know, as Father Gregory has been saying, that it's because it is not possible for us to perceive the essence of the thing directly, uh, that's why the proposition isn't self-evident for us. So Father Gregory was talking about uh, about being bats that rely on one uh, one sense rather than another. And so so for us then, it, it means that we need to be trained to perceive more clearly um, the effects Right. This this would be a way of us uh, recognizing God's presence, uh, God's existence, God's work in our midst. Um, to be to be trained to focus in on on the effects to be demonstrated. Uh, God can be 
known to us by things that are that are more clearly demonstrated to us, right? So we can reason from the principles that are more obvious to uh, or towards God. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, St. Thomas draws this distinction between uh, proving that a thing is um, and proving, I don't know, kind of hard, whatever, uh, but like proving on account of which a thing is. Um, and that may sound unhelpful at first blush, but basically he thinks that in the case of God, we can't know God in his essence in such a way that we can prove on the basis that God is this, that he is dot, dot, dot. Okay. Um, so certain things we know, we know well, uh, we know intimately, or we know them comprehensively. Uh, well, we know them really well. And as a result of which we can say like, all right, because I know this thing really well, I can go on to prove other things about, you know, what it does and how it's going to end up or things like that. But in the case of God, because we don't have knowledge of him in that same way, right? St. Thomas says, we cannot so much say what God is as how God is not. That, so in the case of, in the case of God, we're, we're in the position of kind of reasoning back to God from the things that we observe in the world. And uh, that's not just like, wow, that's a beautiful sunset. God must exist. Although I'm not discounting the logic of that argumentation. But the way that St. Thomas does it, it's like, all right, we perceive different things about reality. And on the basis of these different things that we, that we kind of take in, um, we're going to have to account for them in some causal way, right? So, so this doesn't hold together unless dot, 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 and you follow out the reasoning and you end up with some, you know, some description of God. That's a basic idea. So it's very humble. Um, it's very modest. Uh, and it's just like, it's the type of thing that takes time or takes effort and takes the leisure to think it through. So yeah, as a result of which it's, it's going to be a little bit difficult and it's not going to, like I said, be like the funniest joke in the world where it just, um, you know, captures our <laughs> sense in one, in one fell swoop. Now, as Father Gregory has been talking about, um, talking about what God is not is often called the via negativa or negative theology. And um, so you clear out and begin to make a definition of what a thing is by saying what it is not. Right. And this can be very helpful, uh, when you're discussing something with someone, because, um, uh, it allows them to see more clearly your position. So if you're coming to this episode saying, okay, I want I want to become better about talking about why I think God exists in the most general of ways. Well, a good way, a good way to start that conversation, right, is to say, well, I don't think God is this. Okay, so so what are helpful things for Christians to say? Well, one is to say that um, I don't think God changes or I don't think God is complex. Okay, so these principles get us right to the beginning of um, some very important ideas about what God is as greater than something that is created. Okay. So there's another one. God is uncreated. Um, God is, God is the one who was not made. Um, so the, so the, these kinds of carvings out allow us to get at mm, uh, ideas about what God is because the word itself uh, is important and the signification of, of the, the one being named um, has to be sorted out. Um, so, Father Gregory, can you comment a little bit about about doing that well? About um, you know making uh, making it possible for people to understand what is signified by the word God, so that uh, maybe they come to something like uh, Anselm's "God is that which is greater than can be thought." Yeah, I think yeah, that's what, what you describe about kind of ruling things out. This is a this is a really practical point apologetically, because sometimes you'll be engaged in conversation with people who reject Christianity or reject the Lord Jesus Christ, and you come to discover that their reasons for doing so are actually reasons that you share. You know, like, 
you know, God is just poised up in his heaven waiting for you to commit some moral fault so that way he can smite you with, you know, an especial attention. It's like, yeah, that, that, that is creepy. I too reject that understanding of God. And that's not to say that like God is the great sugar daddy in the sky whose mercy is effectively equivalent to permitting you to do whatever the heck you darn well please and then scooping you up at the end. Um, but it is to say that, you know, we need to be, we need to be receptive to how God reveals himself in the scriptures how saints in the life of the church have thought about God. And we need to be, um, you know, kind of disciplined in our own thinking. So that way we don't just bring into our description of God, what we hope to be in God or what we have heard maybe popular preaching say about God, which may or may not be true. So I think there's, there's a kind of discipline in our thinking about God, which we can introduce, not, not to say that it has to be like a very rigorous or academic enterprise, but we just want to be sure that we're not bringing things in which actually make it harder to speak truly about God, to uh, give others a reason for our hope. So you mentioned, you know, like complexity or you mentioned change. If you have a changing God, you know, like you're in, you're in trouble because is he getting better? Is he getting worse? Is he saving you or is he in need of salvation? You know, it's just like, wow. Um, so yeah, I think that for those reasons, those are really important considerations. Okay, so finally, by by our last way, as uh, listeners know, we love throat clearing. You know, we we love to just kind of uh, dig through and get get all kinds of issues out there on the table, make a whole mess before we actually get to uh, what it is that we're going to discuss. Um, but 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 by way of our last word of preambula, um, what can you say about about the nature of demonstration? You know, again, um, just be- before we present some of. Aquinas's uh, ideas about um, about whether or not God exists um, and why uh, why is it that that we can make a good argument and someone can hear and follow it logically and yet uh, continue to resist belief? Yeah, yeah. So I think here it's helpful to helpful to start with how Aristotle and Saint Thomas describe the different ways in which our mind can assent or not to uh, to truth claims or to propositions. Mm-hmm. So there, there are some things that it's just really hard to know because those things are changing realities or they're contingent realities or they're kind of material realities, which will depend on time, place, and circumstance. So can I have, you know, searching knowledge of the habits of dog walkers in Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia? It's like, ah, kind of. I mean, but like it changes. There's just so many factors. It depends on it depends on the weather. It depends on you know like whether or not there's precipitation. It depends on whether they have a day off or whether it's a work day. It just depends on all these factors. And I can try to narrow in, but then maybe I maybe I show up at Rittenhouse Square on March fourteenth, two thousand twenty, just to pick a random date, and uh, there's no one there. I'm like, wow, I thought I thought I could predict everyone's behavior. And uh, I've been living under a rock up until that point. And then somebody says, what are you doing out in the street? And I say, I was, I was about to walk my imaginary dog so I could further observe the dog walking habits of others here. And he says, don't you know there's a global pandemic? And I was like, wow, first I've heard of it. Crazy, right? So like, I'm not going to have perfect knowledge or demonstrative knowledge about dog walking habits in Philadelphia because there's just a lot of moving pieces. And those pieces are like, they get, they get colds and they, um, wake up late and they push snooze and you know, you get it. But there are other things that we can know more thoroughly, that we can know more searchingly and which don't change, which are just necessary. And the types of things that we're reasoning about when we reason towards God are these types of things. So I think because, because we're so often engaged with 
these changing contingent material realities. We just think like, you know, the best that I can have is um, like a, a good prediction. The best that I can have is a working hypothesis, but I can never really know, no. And I think to that, we would say, no, you can actually, you can actually know, no. And uh, this is especially important when it comes to uh, other types of truth claims, like belief claims, for instance. Um, if I can't know, know that Jesus Christ is Lord, then then we're in trouble. Or if I can't know, know that Jesus Christ is present in the most blessed sacrament, then when I go to adoration, what's the sense in facing forward? Why not like face backwards or stand on my head? Um, so, so if we can't know things excellently, if we can't know them well, if we can't know them uh, to the marrow of our bones, then we've got some problems. So I think that we want to draw a distinction there between, you know, the types of knowledge that we have that's like kind of doubtful or opinion-based or kind of like practical working knowledge, and then the demonstrative knowledge that we're talking about when we talk about the existence of God, and then belief, right, faith knowledge, which is a knowledge based on testimony. And effectively there, we're saying like, I can't observe everything that needs to be observed, uh, but I believe the one who is telling me, and in the case of God, that one who is telling me is most trustworthy. So that gives you a, an even deeper kind of certainty. Well, with that, let's pause for our short break. And when we get back, we'll dive into uh, actually some of Aquinas's uh, proofs for God. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Well, friends, welcome back. Um, thanks for listening to the first part of the episode. You should get an award uh, because if you're if you're still listening, you know that means that you you really do want to know or want to examine some of these proofs for the existence of God. So here in the third article, the second question of the first part of Aquinas' Summa, you like all of that, get the little landscape there. So here in the third article of the second question of the first part of Aquinas' Summa, um, Aquinas gives his um, well enough known five proofs for the existence of God. Um, we're not going to get to all five, but we will dive into them, uh, dive into a few of them here uh, with some uh, some depth, I think, you know, I don't want to, don't want to overpromise and then under deliver. Right. <laughs> um, so, so with that, <laughs> with that, let's look at the Aquinas's first proof as it is for the existence of God, his first idea, um, for, for Aquinas, the first and most manifest way to demonstrate God's existence, he says, is the argument from motion. Okay. Now what is the argument from motion? Essentially, um, this is an adaptation of Aristotle's argument about the first mover or the prime mover, which is that there was something in the beginning of things that moved. Pausing for dramatic effect. Now, maybe you didn't think that was as awesome as it is, but but essentially <laughs> the argument goes that if there were not a first thing that moved, there would be a kind of infinite regress of moving things. And that cannot be. There must be at the beginning of things, something which first causes motion. Um, and for Aristotle and Aquinas, this, this first motion is itself uncaused and is God. Uh, so Father Gregory, what do you think about the first thing that moved, the first mover, the unmoved mover, the prime mover? <laughs> um, I think many things. I think that he is worthy of worship. Uh, but, but in order to get there, well, Aristotle didn't know that. No, that's true. Um, I think that it's helpful 
I'm a, I'm a big fan of just kind of doing some vocab work because when, when sometimes when people hear these proofs, they're like, what are you talking about? Motion? What? And then you get from motion to God? Wait, what? Um, so when, when St. Thomas is talking about motion, he's basically just talking about change. So he's inheriting this understanding from Aristotle. Aristotle's like, okay, things can change in quality. You know, like they can go from being not red to red. Like when I get embarrassed and I blush. Like one time I was giving a little lecture in Colombia. you know, when we had, we, we both had summer assignments in foreign countries. You went to our missions in Kenya. I went to a Dominican province in Colombia, and I was supposed to learn Spanish. And at the end, I was trying to explain that uh, there's this natural analogy between human love and divine love. And I learned from my parents that I was good, but I used the, the wrong form of the word to be. Instead of using ser, I used a star. And apparently when you do that, it changes the nature of an adjective. And instead of saying that I was good, I think I described to like a department, a humanities department of like 65 people that I learned from my parents that I was very, very attractive, you know, and then they were like, wow, you're an idiot. And I was like, that's true. <laughs> and then I t- <laughs> and then I turned red. So that's a change, you know, like you can change in quality or you can change in quantity. Like one can gain weight or one can grow in size. If I were to grow in size, I would be even gawkier than I presently am, which would be terrible. Um, or you can change in place. So there's there's different kinds of changes, and all of them basically are are envisioned by by St. Thomas in this. And he's saying that like when you change, you realize some aspect of your being that to that point hasn't yet been realized. So like you go from being not red to red. So it's like, dude, you just you just got some redness going on. And the question is basically, how does that happen? Right? How do you go from being not red to red? Are you able to kind of like pull yourself up by your unread bootstraps and then make them red? And I think that that's, that's basically what he has going on in the background here. And he's saying like, okay, all right, like let, let's maybe say that we can identify some, some cause, you know, in the background that's, that's making you go from not this to this. He's like, okay, well, well, what gave that thing the capacity to cause you to be not this to this. And, and then if you if you see how it all kind of hangs together, you have to have some ground. You have to have some causal explanation, which itself is not in need of being pulled up, you know, by its by its bootstraps or by the roots of its hair. Something that just gives others to be. So it's like, yeah, it's the, the argumentation is obviously more involved and he uses technical language, but that's basically what we're saying. Like things can't go from not being to being unless they get some help. And eventually you're just going to need a big, big totally causally competent helper. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking of whenever, whenever I read this argument, I actually think of John Mulaney's new in town. And I think of John Mulaney in a standup comic saying, and I'm pushing, I'm pushing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because the argument for me, I take the, the physicality of the argument of motion. I really love it. Um, you know, that, that, that there's a kind of chain set off here um, that, that, that in the in the beginning um, that that which was not um, was was brought to be, and that you know something moved, that there was something like that. So uh, we could think of it like uh, too, like kicking off a line of dominoes. You know, there's there's something that flicks them, right? We don't want to take that too literally because we then we end up with all kinds of watchmaker versions of God, which are not things that we subscribe to. Um, but but there being there being a first motion. Um, uh, that the, there being the one who can reduce um, the change of um, what is potentially so to what is actually so uh, is very great. Okay, so what do you want to go to next? You know, I brought up the argument of motion. Yeah, let's um, 
Uh, let's go to the fourth way because I think it'll appeal to people's appreciation for beauty. So let's let's do that. I think that's right. So the fourth way is essentially um, the gradation found in things. So if you look around the natural world, Aquinas says more or less, um, or at least Aquinas says according to Father Patrick, um, if you look around the world, you find some things that are, are greater than others. Um, so within species, you find things that more perfectly represent the idea of that species. Just thinking biologically, right? There are some, there are some dogs that are, that are more perfectly dogs than others. Um, some kinds of dogs that are defective. You know, a three-legged dog, for example, is a kind of like a gradation, right, in things where you have, uh, we could think of um, e- even um, kind of a smaller dog maybe would be a kind of literal less than dog, right? Uh, but but you have you have gradations in the natural world, um, and that there that that uh, there's a sense, um, a kind of base uh, base clarity that some things are more perfectly what they ought to be than others, and that Aquinas argues you can go from that sense of gradation that some things are are more perfectly what they ought to be than others. You could go from that to. Uh, that there must be a thing which is most perfectly itself. Period. That that from the gradation of things, uh, if there is a hierarchy of things, there is something that sits atop the hierarchy that is the most of all of the things. How's that? I, I can dig it. Um, it's cool because you know in the in the twenty first century and certainly downstream of the tremendous efforts of Bishop Barron. Uh, we're very sensitive to the appeal or the evidential power of beauty. And I think here in this in this argument, we get closest to what St. Thomas might have to say on the matter. Because when he lists uh, different aspects of reality uh, where, we, where we kind of witness this gradation, he lists like goodness, nobility, truth, as it were, or like metaphysical truth. I don't remember exactly the words that he uses, but were I to have it under my nose, maybe I could say it with more accuracy. But I, I know that he says goodness. Um, and so he's talking about these, these mm-hmm. perfections Hottest, that we associate. Noblest, truest, yeah. Boom. Um, so he's, he's describing these aspects of the divine essence, the divine nature, which kind of spill into reality and uh, make reality to be good, make reality to be true, make reality to be beautiful. And there's a sense in which everything somehow gives, gives witness to its origin. It speaks of its source. There's a beautiful poem by St. Augustine in the Confessions where he in, kind of interrogates all these different aspects of creation, and they all speak to him of their creator. And I think that, you know, in a, in a less dramatic or in a less poetic way, that's what St. Thomas is describing here. There's a gradation among things. Things are more and less so. But he said, I mean, he's of the mind, a kind of platonic mind, in fact, that if there is a gradation, that there has to be some not only standard against which they are measured, but a causal standard. Which is to say, it's not like, okay, you've got things that are like 50% awesome and 75% awesome. So there must be 100% awesome because how do we know that they're 50% and 75% awesome? But he also suggests like the 100% awesome thing is what makes the 50% and the 75% awesome thing to be what they are. Um, and he says, and this we call God. So th- this should, uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's a proof of the existence of God. So it should cause us to reason from reality to God, but it should also cause us to wonder at the differentiation or gradation that we perceive in creation as having a source, a causal source, which makes them not only to be, to, but to be as they are. Um, and yeah, just to draw a kind of practical spiritual point, like you are not just, yeah, some like failed attempt of God's to make himself, right? 
God has in mind that you be some particular thing, that you occupy some rank in reality. Don't get too terribly caught up with like more or less, but think about it as a particular, a peculiar expression of God's truth, goodness, nobility, etc. God has a notion, he weds his will to that notion, and you are, right? So it's not like you're constantly struggling to realize in God's mind what you are meant to be. He has you in mind presently. <laughs> it's good news. The, uh, I, I'm so drawn to this argument because I think that it captures, um, a lot of, a lot of just the, you know, I could call it base instinct, right. Or, or fundamental, fundamental thoughts that people have about God. Um, so, so often people talk about, uh, seeing God in, in a remarkable landscape or a sunset or some kind of wonder of nature that, that adduces, um, that adduces the kind of marvel that Father Gregory is talking about. And I, I think, I think that this argument captures something of that. And, and it's a way of thinking about why that is the case, because not every sunset or every sunrise, uh, is the same. Some of them are more grand and they, they lead us to think of, they lead us to think of grander things. Um, and so understanding that the kind of differentiation and gradation that we see in the natural world could lead us to something more to, to, to me uh, has, has something very clear and experiential about it. That's imminently relatable. Um, not that it's an imminent argument, but that, that I find it, I find it, um, uh, that I, that I find it connected very deeply to, to my experience of the world and that it expresses that. Well, we got through two proofs here, two thoughts of Aquinas's about the uh, existence of God. That's pretty good for us. Um, the, at, at the end of this article, St. Thomas proposes, um, you know, two, two responses to objections. He says that in the end, there are really only two, um, or that there, there are two most significant reasons why people fail to believe in God. And one of them is probably, uh, very easily guessed by listeners. And that is the existence of evil, um, which is a, which is a tremendous sorrow, and the experience of uh, of suffering leads many to question um, God's goodness and and therefore His existence. How could an all powerful, all knowing, all loving God um, allow such things? And the second question, uh, or the second reason that people often, um, uh, the second reason people often uh, doubt in God, according to Aquinas, is that uh, that in the end um, they believe that science will be able to explain all of these things that the that the that every every wonder will eventually be pursued and that that human knowledge um a kind of mastery of of the the universe um, will be able will be able to lead us to a total understanding of all things um what do you have to say about these two uh these two comments father gregory just by way of conclusion yeah i think with respect to the first namely evil there's a sense in which, you know, God could have made us to freely assent. Well, God could have made us such that we couldn't but affirm his existence or follow his will. Um, he could have made us subrational creatures, or he could have freely caused us to assent to him uh, in a kind of infallible way. But he, he chose to make us this kind of creature. And so we are we are made to give glory to him in this kind of way, which admits of the possibility of evil. And given what we know now, you know, entails it. Uh, in our historical experience. But what God is about is not a work of, you know, eliminating the possibility of evil, because God could have chosen not to create. So there's no evil like no evil. Um, wow, I'm killing myself over here. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think that that when St. Thomas responds to this objection, he says God shows uh, his sovereignty, or God shows his existence, 
in a particular way by drawing forth from evil a kind of good. Uh, and St. Augustine will often repeat that God only permits evil to befall to bring about from it some greater good. And we've recorded episodes in the past, I think, which have touched on this theme at greater length uh, with greater sensitivity. But then just to kind of pass on to the second, um, I think that sometimes Christians make arguments which uh, lead unbelievers to think that um, we just use God to fill in the gaps of explanation. So it's like, well, haven't really figured out some of these fuzzy points of uh, quantum physics. So let's just say like God, wave our hand and then, you know, pass on from it. But that type of argumentation is irresponsible um, because when science advances in its explanatory power, then it, then it kind of squeezes God out of those gaps. And then once you have a, a more comprehensive causal explanation, there's, there's really no room for God. But I think that what we want to emphasize is that God isn't providing the type of explanation that science provides, right? Science, for instance, relies on cause and effect. But when we talk about the existence of God, we're, we're talking about things that are even more basic. Like, why is it that cause and effect obtains? You know, like, how is that so? Or where's the, where's the explanation for that? How is that intelligible? And when we, when we argue in the way that St. Thomas argues at the beginning of the Summa Theologiae, He's appealing to those more more basic, metaphysical is the word that one would use. But you know, he's 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 kind of like referring us to think about being as being, right? So not just to think about it as mathematically manipulatable or as physical stuff, but to talk about the more basic concepts of what is true and what is good and what is noble, um, so as to uh, orient us kind of beyond the horizon of scientific explanation, or um, to orient us to what undergirds it or underwrites it. Um, those are conflicting metaphors because I said it was at once beyond and under. So you're just going to have to forgive me for that. And I'll just promise that I'll, I'll do my best to keep those out of my explanations in subsequent episodes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, friends, thank you for listening today, uh, for tuning into God's planning. Uh, the podcast grows because you like and share it on social media or recommend it to your friends. So we're grateful for that. We're grateful for those to, who support us um, financially on Patreon. Uh, thank you for allowing us to continue to refine and improve our production quality. Um, we love hearing from you. Thank you for uh, sending in your comments to us on the website. Uh, we welcome suggestions for episodes and kinds of uh, questions that you want that you want addressed. And we, we do our best to be attentive to that account. Um, uh, thank you for supporting us by buying merch. We have things available. You can find those on the website on godsplaining.org. Um, and I think that's it for announcements. Father Jacob Bertrand would probably nod his head in approval, you know, saying, Father Patrick, you've done a great job with those today. Um, <laughs> uh, as always, we want to assure our listeners of our prayers for you. And we beg your prayers, uh, for us, for our work, uh, and for our preaching. God bless. Thanks for listening to Godsplaining, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.